Love a rugby league same-game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same-game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Another episode of the NRL All Stars podcast. This is Barnsy here for the Talk and Footy episode for this week, episode eleven for the twenty twenty three season. Had a couple of week hiatus just due to, due to a few um, oh, illnesses in the household, coupled with people that weren't able to make the scheduled times and stuff, which is unfortunate, but it happens. And starting afresh now to do an Origin review, but we've also got some other coaching chat, the Ben Hunt saga and our regular segments of Listener's Corner, Spray of the Week, and the Legend Rewind. So it is going to be an absolute banger. We've got the first game of the round coming up tonight, so it's perfectly timed. And this week, we've got a double dose of Perso. Perso's jumping on board for two to fill in for me. So, Matty Person, welcome back, mate. We have the Talking Footy episode this week, and it's going to kick off with the Origin Review, and it's two Blues supporters. Yeah. I'm sure you're not keen on talking about <laughs> Uh, it was a pretty ordinary watch, Barnsley, wasn't it? Uh, Queensland just too good. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think for me, the first half, I felt like it was a pretty even contest. In fact, I actually thought the first half the Blues were well on top. Uh, and, you know, I'll probably cop some heat for that, but was, I'll explain it a little bit of context here. The Blues had field position significantly. Uh, they were really, I thought going okay in the forwards compared to some some of the stuff that we saw in game one. I like the aggression. I just thought that they were doing pretty well. Uh, Then we obviously hopped the the Queensland tries. Now, look, we'll get it out of the way now because then it's going to be a whole heap of Queensland praise. The first try, (laughs) I thought they were very lucky to get. Uh, Look, you cop it by the bare minimal margins just because you don't want to really whinge too much. But, you know, but the second one I thought was an absolute travesty. I thought they've, Pass from Fafita was a metre and a half forward very, very clearly. And the hammer was in front of him and he's actually got hit and had to throw it forward. And the touch judge was right there, like clear as day. So to me, at, at the half, it could have been zero all. Now, I still would have been unhappy about that per se because, look, we, we had great field position in New South Wales. We, we should have been able to get some points on the board. That was the first half. Obviously, the second half is a bit different. But how were you feeling about the first half and going into half time? Fairly similar, Barzi. I, mean, I don't like harping on, especially with forward passes, because I, I generally just judge the um, game with the on-field, on-field officials' choices when they're right in the position, because I'm sitting at home in the lounge room and the angles are different, but that was blatantly forward. That, like, it, was, it was looked forward to the eye. Every time they slotted up, it looked even more forward. I, I, that had to be forward, that pass. Your physics says that pass was forward, but anyway... Didn't cost us the game, obviously, is the way the second half went. But you're right, it could have quite easily been a deadlock at halftime. Blues were still in it, but it just didn't look like we had the cohesion in attack. Even in that first half, I didn't think our attack was looking very good. Yeah, so there was a few controversial things that were um, spoken about as reasons for New South Wales losing and and Queensland winning. Uh, But look, 
on the Queensland side of things, I think that we need to start with, you know, Queensland had 85% completion, which was phenomenal. And the defence was outstanding. They actually conceded eight penalties too, uh, which makes it pretty hard in an origin game, but it didn't matter because their defence was that good. Uh, and everything else, you know, there was a lot of even stuff around there, the run meters and so forth and the Ford battle. But really the completion rate, and the fact that they just defended so hard, they ended up having 49% possession. In the first half, that was significantly lower. And that was always, as a Queensland fan, I think that was always what was going to bore you in the second half to that they could really go on with it hard was because with very little possession and field position in the first half, they managed to come away with a 10-0 lead at halftime. And that was always going to swing possession a little bit in the second half. And you sort of thought, well... If Queensland can have that little field position and opportunity, very reminiscent of game one, then certainly in the second half, when that turns around, if we're up 10 nil first half, second half could be great for us. And obviously that was the case. So to me, on the Queensland side, they, they deserve the win very easily. It's not even a close one, this one. Obviously, 32 to 6 was a score line. But to me, it was the Queensland players' work and their effort and especially the defence. I don't think they did anything real flash in attack again, pretty much like the, the first one. But, I mean, guys like Lizzie Collins getting the player of the game, that, that probably signals what type of game it was and, you know, what was important for Queensland winning because he was just there toiling away, doing big hits, but also doing real effort plays and being there for some last-ditch tackles and everything else. And that was Queensland, and that's why they deserved it. Yeah, well, you could have given it to any one of the the um, Queensland middles, couldn't you? Collins, Carrigan and Potter were all outstanding. Uh, I thought Cameron Munster was pretty outstanding too, the amount of work he got through. Even Cherry Evans, Cherry Evans in his effort areas, there was that tri-saver he made. He just sort of like, symbolised what Queensland were in that game. They just did all the little things better than we did. They probably didn't have a bad player on the field when you go through it. I thought Hunt was quite quiet, actually. If I were to signal out anyone, I thought he was quite quiet. And we're going to talk a bit more about him later, but... Overall, you know, even guys like Cherry Evans and, and Walsh actually created some great opportunities and, and scared New South Wales quite a bit. Uh, and then you had, you know, Talangi had some great efforts in the first game and, and he backed it up with another fine defensive display again. He had another cracker of a tackle that he managed as well in the corner. Yeah, his club form's probably been a little bit questionable this year, but his two origin games, he's been fantastic. So that sort of just sums up the series, really. They're just, uh, just the areas, you just wanted it more, well, they just got themselves in the right position. New South Wales didn't. Well, on the New South Wales front, I mean, we talk about the Queensland side deserving to win. New South Wales certainly deserved to lose. Uh, I thought that, um, like I mentioned, they had enough opportunity. And look, there's a lot of people throwing around a whole heap of different, you know, oh, we lost because of this or because of that. I think it was very, very simple, the reason New South Wales lost that football game. And it was because there is absolutely no attack in that side. And to me, the attack was the most disappointing thing. You can put Damien Cook in the centres, you can do this, you can do that, you can play Stefano, Uta Commando, 15 minutes off, but I don't care about any of that. They can't attack. And that was the thing. It was there in game one, it needed to be fixed for game two. And at that level, when you're giving a side that amount of field position and possession, look, I didn't think the Queensland were very were, were fantastic in that first 15 to 20. They gave a couple of penalties away. They gave a couple of turnovers away. That, that Nanai pass on halfway that went straight over the sideline. There was things like that. Whereas in New South Wales supporter, you just went, well, here we go. Like we're in position. We're primed here to get some points on the board. 
And it just never actually looked like materializing at any point. The only bright spot for me was probably Mitchell Moses trying a couple of things and getting pretty close. But other than that, you know, Teddy did his work. He was okay, but he wasn't good. And he didn't really get anything to play off. So he didn't look dangerous whatsoever. And Luai, for the good things that he does and the amount that I don't want to jump on him again after I jump on him game one, because he did some good things in both games. The reality is, per se, to me, it's the elephant in the room. Jerome Luai is not a elite playmaker. He is not a kicker at all. So he's putting all the pressure on Moses to kick, just like Cleary in game one. That's part of the team build. And also, on top of that, all the good stuff that Luai does, and I urge anyone that's a massive Luai fan to keep him in, think about this. All the good stuff that Luai does is individual stuff. It is running the ball, it is making some breaks or making a line break or whatever here and there or scoring a try. It is not setting up other players. It is not getting his back line in sync. It is not doing anything for anyone around him. And that's not his fault. That's how he plays. But it just doesn't fit at that level for me. Nah. No, it's it's funny. We had that conversation pre-show on Tuesday, pre the um, Supercoach show. It was exactly what we were talking about and they didn't change it today. They just played the same way again as they did in, in game one. Moses slotted straight in for Cleary and they just played two lateral side to side. Didn't play direct, didn't go up the middle. Didn't play off the back and quick play of the balls with the, all the gun players. You gave it to 2021 when we dominated that series and Tedesco and Trevojevic and Mitchell were all sniffing around the middle of the ruck. Playing direct off the back of quick play of the balls. It's just, just digging deep into the line and trying to play like an NRL level side through the yo and then out to Luai. It's just not work. Queensland defence just snuffed it out every time. It didn't even look troubled really most of the time. And touching on that kicking, it's funny you said that because there was, <laughs> you look at Moses had 18 kicks, Luai had three, but Queensland, Munster and Cherry Evans had 10 each. But just that, that having one kicking option just takes so much pressure off the Queensland defence because they know where it's going every time. Yeah, it makes it really difficult. And I, I just, uh, I can't get over the lack of creativity because you've got some pretty good finishers in that team. Like you've, obviously, they've, they put out a car on the wing for his speed and his finishing ability. Toto can finish pretty well. Stephen Crichton can do his job finishing as well. And, and Turbo is a massive weapon that you want to get ball to that we didn't really get good ball to in the first half. I can't believe that, you know, and it's it's sort of going to be, you know, half defending Tedesco, but at the same time, he didn't have a good game and that's there. He didn't create anything himself and he should have. But at the same time, I'm just sitting there just thinking, how are we not running anything in the ruck for Tedesco? Like even game one, at least we did it once and there's just nothing happening there at all. And there was just no plays. Like even some sweet plays here and there that actually have a bit of variance and stuff. You know, he does that sort of stuff at the Roosters and it comes off and he can actually throw a pass in the right situations. But we just kept basically like an under-14s game where you're just shuffling the ball out wide player to player and just running a, a straight backline movement and hoping somebody can individually break someone open. And you're not going to get anywhere at an origin level like that, let alone, again, giving more credit to Queensland, one of the best defensive displays in an origin series so far that we've probably seen for several years. You're not going to get anywhere with that. That was extremely frustrating. Blues fan, just watching it. You just watch it every time. There's just no variance. No, it's just the same thing, as you said, shuffling it back. Playing yeah, way too lateral. It just it was very frustrating. So there was a few controversial things in the match. 
Um, one of them was obviously those calls um, with those tries for Queensland in the first half. I did think it was pretty bad, but at the same time, it had absolutely zero bearing on the game and New South Wales was still going to get slaughtered in the second half of the way they were playing. So doesn't really matter. Um, the other big one is Cook. So people are saying it's the biggest mistake in origin in history and, and this type of stuff. It's, it's one of those things, per se, isn't it, where origin always provides hyperbole. It's always one way or another. Oh, it's the best performance we've ever seen. Oh, that is the worst mistake you've ever seen in a game of rugby league. You know, it's never anything else. It's always hyperbole. To me, that was kind of the Cook thing. Like, it's bad to have Cook in the centres. You don't want Cook in the centres. You're going to have problems with Cook in the centres. All of that's there. Uh, but having heard a bit of an explanation from the Blues, I sort of understood it a little bit. And I, I think that's the thing with this stuff. Like, if you, if there's a valid enough reasoning, then, you know, you can say that you don't like it. But at the end of the day, nobody thinks that Trojevich is going to go down in the second minute and you're going to have to spend 78 minutes with someone else at centre. So let's go through that in a little bit of detail, first of all. Because I, first of all, before even hearing the New South Wales camp, when people were saying, put Yo out there, I, I immediately said no. Because no, Yo has, is like three or four years away from from filling in as a centre and even being an edge back row and stuff. He's basically a prop now. And my concerns with Isaiah Yo now is that he's too slow in the middle. So I would, I'd be hugely concerned with him out out defending in the centres. A couple of years ago, okay, but but not now. And then Cam Murray, he obviously played low minutes, but they said, look, he's, we're worried about his groin and his lateral movement. And you've seen that for South. Obviously, the question comes out, well, why did you pick him? I've defended that myself because to me, you know, I, I think Cam Murray's leadership experience and how good he is as a player at 80, 90%. Is better than whoever else we'd put in. And I couldn't even think about another forward who would put in as a middle forward. So, I mean, you might not like Cook there. It certainly caused some issues for us. But at the same time, I didn't love the other options that we had either. Didn't have a lot of choice with the side that they went with. That, that was the thing. Because the outside back went down, we were going to struggle no matter what with that team. Like you said, I, you always played a bit of centre, but that was like five or six years ago. And, you know, he's put on a lot more weight to play a lock. He's, well, he doesn't even play on the edge anymore, so they would have exposed him quite well out there at Queensland. I thought Cook was the least of their problems, really. He wasn't ideal having him thrown out centre, but he, you know, he did a job. It wasn't the reason why we lost the game, that's for sure. Cam Murray's been battling fitness too. He hasn't. He's, so, as you said, he's not the ideal man to slot out into the centres either at the moment. That's just what happens when you don't go in with a Matt Burton or someone like that on the bench, isn't it? And which goes down, it's just the, the risk you sort of you take, which, you know, you can't. <laughs> you sort of can, but you can't really. You can't go into a game thinking you're going to lose the centre and then need another player on the bench. They went in with the two um, the two hooker option, which they thought was going to be the, the best option to beat Queensland, and you just can't help Trevojevic going down with a peg injury in the first couple of minutes. And then Reese Robson had to play pretty much 80 minutes at Auger, so... It's a real shame for Trojevic as well. Obviously, it's another injury for him and, and Manly are going to be absolute shambles now without him. But on that move as well, you know, it really, to me, again, showed the disappointing aspect of, of fans in the media with the double talk because, you know, all the talk was, well, you know, it was silly to not have a, a Matt Burton on the bench or somebody who was going to be a proper utility that could fill in. And, uh, but game one... The same people were saying, 
We're yeah. so dumb. We, we didn't pick two hookers. Why did we not have a hooker on the bench? You have to have that at this level. That's what Queensland do. It's what we should do. Game two, that's what we did. And the New South Wales camp copped it for doing it because we needed an outside back. Obviously, if we kept with the same status quo from the first game, we would have had either Hines or Burton on the bench and they would have filled in at centre as someone who has a bit of experience here. And people can have a go at Hines playing centre in the first one as much as they like. He's played there before in a preliminary final for Melbourne and he's well well good enough to be there. Um, so, look, there's that sort of stuff too. I also will throw in there with that point, per so that people really wanted Josh Adakar last year to the point that they said yeah. that the coaching staff should be sacked and it was they had no idea what they were doing. He was awful. Like, and, and everyone focused on, on the attack. He didn't get any quality ball. But he made several mistakes. One of the things that Cook got blamed for was dropping a ball that ended up in a try. And Adokar knocked him over to make him drop the ball. And he was out of position badly. He was caught out defensively. And it was all the things that he was not selected for last year until he had a great World Cup campaign. And the, the fan movement was there in full swing saying, you have to pick Adokar. He did not come through at all. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's fans where, the New South Wales camp has to wear this, right? The coaching staff have to wear the responsibility a lot, a lot of accountability and a lot of the decision-making, and it's got to fall on them, and I'm all for that. But at the same time, fans in the media need to cop it too. You can't just flip-flop after a game and be Captain Hindsight and talk about this stuff. You've got to wear your mistakes. And to me, a few of the things that went wrong are things that fans in the media have been calling for blood for and really wanted, like Adokar being there, like two hookers being there and so forth. And in the end... Both of those things were, were factors in us losing on, on Wednesday night. No, 100% they were. That was one of the biggest ones. But well, we were pretty vocal about that. Um, Campbell Graham should have been picked on the wing from game one. He's done that spot. He, what he brings out of that end, along with Zoe on the back of that, just gives us so much momentum. Adokar's never been that player. He's a finishing type player. And that narrative just came in that he had to be there last year because he scores a 1,000 tries at a World Cup against Minos. It's his club form hasn't been that great. I think his selection was controversial bringing him in this year. I didn't have a problem with him missing out last year. He wasn't playing the best footy and he was coming off injury leading into it. I thought Tupo's selection last year was fine. He two out of the three games he was one of our better players, Tupo. So this whole that OK narrative he needs to be there. Well, it's showing that he's not the difference between us losing last year and this year, is it? Certainly not. Uh, and that was a bad loss. I think we need to single out a couple of guys that went well for New South Wales too because the whole Queensland team did, but it's a bit harder for the New South Wales team. <laughs> I did think that um, Payne Haas was outstanding. Yeah, you'd uh, he, he was really good and he was offloading as well. You know, he had 21 runs, four offloads and 41 tackles, played 68 minutes. That's a, a knock, that. And, and had an origin level as well. You know, it was, um, I, I thought he really put it out there. And I thought that he could have gone up a notch in, in game one, even though without the minutes, just what he was producing. And he really did. So, I mean, he, he can stand high. And I think that Martin has now had two two quality games in the blue jersey as well. Yeah, Martin sort of suspended himself as a staple in that side moving forward. He's just got that extra level in him at Origin. Hudson Young looked maybe a little bit overawed. I think guys like your, your Parlos. Showing now that the game might have, that, at that level, might have moved past him a little bit, even Tedesco to a point. The problem is with our middle forwards, we just, with a couple of guys out, we just got no depth anymore. Yeah, and that's the problem, isn't it? Like, um, certainly it was controversial that Stefano only played 14 minutes off the bench, but at the same time, you know, it's, you know, do you want to play Payne Haas less minutes with the impact he was having to give Stefano more? To me, I, I didn't mind that because it meant that Haas could stay on the field for 68 minutes. 
Oh, people saying they should have picked RCG instead. And that if you watched RCG's first game back the other day, he looked fairly underdone himself after a bit of a lengthy layoff. Like, let's be fair. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Like, it's it's fine to say put a broom through this side, but middle forward wise, especially like Uta Kamanu, You know, I think everyone was in agreement. He he isn't really an Origin selection. He shouldn't be there. And but the Blues needed somebody to be on the bench that was a front rower. And, you know, they've, they've been down the Safidi route before. Um, David Clemmer was probably the only real option. And, you know, he is older as well. It's not like that we have young guys or guys in their prime that are middle forwards that can come through. We don't even have locks. Like, and that goes to my Cam Murray statement earlier, per so We don't have a lock that's an obvious one to say, well, if Cam Murray's 90%, let's get this guy in that's 100%. The middle forward stocks in New South Wales, it's like everybody wanted to play halfback or 5'8 or something. <laughs> Nobody wanted to be a middle forward anymore in New South Wales. Yeah, it used to be our strongest position, really, didn't it? You've got a plethora of guys to choose from. You know, sort of you're scratching the barrel. You go, well, who are we going to get there? No, 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 can't get him. <laughs> He's a Kiwi. He's <laughs> it's just, yeah, that's pretty thin. I think maybe a guy like Alex Twile could do a job off the bench. But um, although he's no superstar, is he? That's sort of, you sort of, that's the levels you're sort of looking at. And if you're starting to get down to those levels, it's a real problem. And, you know, that's kind of the Stefano level and stuff as well, isn't it? And uh, it's where Queensland deserves some credit too. Like they've actually got a really good bunch of middle forwards that are pretty primed. You know, Lindsay Collins is in his prime. Tino's still a very young man. Um, Patrick Carrigan's hitting his prime as well and quite young. They've got a lot of really good middle forwards coming through. Mo Fadawaka, I thought, has been really good this year and I was really happy for him to get a Queensland jersey on the bench. And I thought he did really well off the bench as well in limited minutes himself. So they've got a really good crop of of young forwards um, that they're able to lean on and they'll be able to build with for years. And that's going to be a problem for New South Wales going forward too. Yeah, you didn't never like to go off early with this, but um, they've got a, it's could go down as one of the best crop of middle forwards they've got coming through in years to come. But Lindsay Collins, Tino Fosumalali and Carrigan, they're all like, quality by the time their careers are over. You'll be talking to them in the top echelon of middle forwards, especially in the modern era. Throwing your guys like Ruben Cotter into the mix as well. It's they're pretty uh look a guy like Josh Papa Lee pulls out this year, it starts to retire and they didn't miss him at all, did they? Yeah, and to me, Josh Papa Lee is uh Queensland's version of Barlow. Barlow, yeah, yep. exactly. Um, you know, it's basically Barlow's time and I think everybody, including him and New South Wales, know that. And yeah, we can't move him on. But Queensland could move Papa Lee on pretty easily and um, and have someone come through. So that's going to be an issue going forward. But let's talk about going forward. Now, Queensland are going to want to obviously not change their side. They're going to pick the same side as they should because they're, they're up 2-0. They've won the series. New South Wales could go one of two ways. They could try and stay loyal and give the guys a chance not to get a 3-0 sweep. But... I tend to think the other way is that they can obviously look towards next year and, and give guys a go that maybe should have gotten a go. I can I think that Freddie and the team will go for a balance approach. I think they'll do a bit of both. I want to see Nico Hines starting. I think that he needs to be there. Uh, I want to see guys moved out that are obviously not going to be there next year. And if we can, um, because, you know, some of those guys, you know, Junior Barlow, you expect he's just, he's gotten past him now. He's a club player now. But who do we put there? Um, Tyson Frizzell's another one who I thought was good game one. But at this point, you know, is he really at 33 or, or whatever next year going to be, you know, in the New South Wales team? Highly unlikely with the edge back rowers that we've got there. He's another one. 
Uh, and then you have a look at someone like Luai, who, you know, everyone's going to think that I'm piling on him. I don't mean to. I don't I don't dislike him as much as some people personally as a uh, player or what he does and everything. But at the end of the day, Perso, much like Cleary, really, except Cleary wasn't there this week. Um, Luai has now played, played a number of origins and, and lost most of them. And he hasn't really shown that he's able to get an attack going as one of the key halves in the team. So it's an opportune time when, especially when you've got someone like Nico Hines waiting, even a Matt Burton waiting, that these guys need to get an opportunity. I do hope that that Moses gets a chance because he is one of those young guys. And, you know, you you could do crazier things than go into next year and say, you know what, our two best halves are halfbacks in Moses and Cleary. Let's just go for it. Um, you could do worse things than that as well. So I wouldn't mind seeing Moses and Hines as a halves combination, Burton on the bench as a utility, uh, or even at centre if we needed to. And Campbell Graham's the other guy that's got to get in there. Now the turbo's down, he has to get a go. Those are my you know, guys that I think are, were deserving this year as it was, but are going to at least build for next year and are young guys. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, we've, we've barked on it nauseam about what we think about Hines. I don't reckon Federer would pick him in the third side. I think for whatever reason, in Freddie's mind, Burton is the guy ahead of Hines at the moment. If Luai is to be dropped, I'd say to be Burton. I'm not convinced that he will drop Luai. I don't think he'll change a lot. I think he might bring in someone like a Colin Matangi, maybe blood them. Campbell Graham, surely, surely he's got to get in there now. But then, having said that, it won't surprise me if he plucks Katani Stags in for a game or something like that to fill in that centre spot, you know. But surely Graham deserves his opportunity. Graham's got to get it. And Colin is a great point. I forgot him. He was on my list. Um, I would have him coming in. Because yeah, he was injured um, or just returned like at the first game. So now he's got a few games under his belt. He can play edge or middle. I think he's sort of a player of the future. He, he deserves a, a game to get blooded. Campbell Graham would definitely be bringing him in. But remains to be saying what Freddie will do. I'd like to see Madison get a reprieve, obviously, in in the past, like he was injured when game one was done and uh, he had a concussion issue one of the other years, but he also had a bit of a line put through him a year or two before. He's another ideal guy to play edge or middle. When he's he's, he's, he's playing six back. for Eels this week as well. Yeah. So, I mean, he does have some of that versatility, right? The problem is that was his first game back from injury last week as well. So, mate, if he's in the, get the mix for Origin 3, I wouldn't mind seeing him recalled. He's sort of that bigger, sort of more mobile guy that we kind of need. I think that the game sort of moved past these. Big boppers like your Palos in the middle of running in with three big middle forwards and just been a disaster really for the Blues. I mean, even everyone, <laughs> Murray hasn't been completely fit. Martin's missed a lot of football this year. Like all the sort of key middle and edge guys are just sort of the younger guys have been injured. And even Jake Javoy, which is someone that always does a job in the Blues jumper, and he's been injured too. So. I think we just put a line through this season. That's why I wouldn't bother making too many wholesale changes for the third game. Just let them go in and see if they can get a win out of it. If not, you know, rub the line out next year. Yeah, it is one of those things where you don't want to make excuses. But um, I tell you what, if you were going to go into bat as, as Freddie Fittler's lawyer and Alexander's lawyer and the whole Blues <laughs> coaching camp and staffing, you, you would bring up a lot of a lot of things that went wrong that were out of your control. And I tell you what, like they were unlucky. Like it was exceptionally unlucky under those circumstances playing at Suncorp for Turbo to tear his peck in that type of fashion. There wasn't yeah. even anything in that at all. Like it, it was so unlucky. And it's exactly what I said, um, you know, when I was watching it live. I was like, Jesus Christ, how can we 
how can we cop that? So turbo you know? like, isn't it? Like <laughs> when you look at it, though, you're right. Like Latrell Mitchell and Trebovich. And then I was about to say, forget about Latrell Mitchell too. Got ruled out late in both games. Well, like. they're they're both match winners, X factors, guys that the other team are scared about playing, and, and we haven't had them at all, pretty much, aside from one game from Turbo, where he's ineffective and looked injured in the first game anyway. All due respect to you, Stephen Crichton, he doesn't really worry Queensland's defence, does he? No, not at all. Um, so I mean, you know, Turbo Latrell. Pretty unlucky they could be there. Who are the other top New South Wales players? Cam Murray's struggling. You know, he's another top New South Wales player. Nathan Cleary didn't even play. You know, a lot of people will consider him the best halfback in the comp. He didn't even play. He was out injured and he's going to be out injured for game three as well. So, I mean, look, it's easy to blame the coaching staff. It's easy to blame the players. And a lot of responsibility falls on both, I think. But there is also all these other factors too, right? That takes nothing away from Queensland being the better side and it doesn't make up excuses for a poor performance in the second half in game two, but they are factors into why I don't think a broom needs to be necessarily swept completely through the whole joint. Yeah, probably the last point that I'll make with that is one of the things that I was disappointed about in New South Wales, but uh, I would have been very proud if I was a Queenslander about that team, was that Queensland really put in a huge amount of effort and it was, you know, all the cliche stuff, the effort on effort, the one percenters doing it for your mate next to you and all that. But they actually really did it. Yep. And I, I, I don't buy into the whole, oh, the Queensland spirit, get origin. It, it, there's blue sides that have gotten it before and have done that. This blue side did not do it, though. And Queensland did. And all respect to Queensland, they massively did it. And we did not south of the border. Blatantly obvious the difference in that area, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's just it's all the effort stuff. And, and I just, I question the attitude of some of New South Wales. And, and you know, like you, you've played sport before, you've played rugby league before. It's in any sport though. If you've even got a few guys that just aren't putting in the efforts or aren't in sync with the rest of the team's attitude, it can put everybody off. And I'm not singling out anyone in particular. I just, I thought overall, really, there wasn't enough effort from the New South Wales side, but but that's an issue. And you've got to turn that around quickly as a as a team culture um, because you need to be like Queensland and you need to have that camaraderie and the way that they worked for each other and for the team and for the jersey. And just that that kind of hurts. Like that's the thing that hurts most personally as a New South Wales fan. You want to see your, your state team trying. You want to see them putting in the effort. You want to see them bleeding for the jersey. You want to see them in tears. You, you just didn't get that with the way that they played. Uh, that was definitely where Queensland were completely better than New South Wales in those effort areas. All, as you said, all your cliche areas, but it was. They, it was blatantly obvious. They just wanted it more, that old cliche. So I don't know how that, the attitude of that gets changed. I'm not sitting there in the camp with them, so I can't really speculate as to whether there is a bit of an issue in that sort of things. And if Freddie and Brandy are to get the chop, look, who's banging the door down, put their hand up to turn it all around for the Blues? Is it? Blues coach. Well, this is the thing. It's a, the coaching issue is almost like the middle forward issue, isn't it? It's like, well, where are you going to go? Like, you mate, you're going to put a New South Wales Cup coach to do the, to do the Blues yeah. side, you know? Because look, I, I've obviously I've been a vocal Freddie supporter and a fan, and people forget that he's actually three and three now in Origin, which is actually you know if you won fifty percent of your Origin series, that's actually pretty good. Like the better coaches are doing in the sixties. So I mean. Yeah, it's not. It's not actually a terrible record. It's a terrible oh. recent record, though. So two years ago, after that twenty twenty one series, he was God's gift of Origin football. Yeah, that's why I sort of feel bad as well for the coaching staff. Like a couple of years ago, 
you know, everybody loved what they were doing. And then when you lose some football games, you, everyone forgets about it. It's a little bit of a shame in sport, but that's what we do. But at the same time, I, you know, as much as I can support Freddie and the coaching staff there, I'd be fine for a change because it might be needed now. And he has not come through. You know, there's no getting around that, that they've, they've well, lost his series badly and they've lost it way worse than what they should have. And they just didn't compete. So I, I'm fine, but you know, I'll, I'll give you something to laugh at first. So Daily Telegraph article. Okay. Some of the contenders, they could look at a Madge Maguire. Better yet, they could look at an ex-New South Wales star in Paul McGregor that doesn't have a job. Are, are we serious here? Like, yeah. if anyone wants to right have chopped for Paul McGregor, <laughs> like, we may as well just keep him on for another year and give him a one-year extension. Because, like, honestly, I'm fine for, for Brad Fittler to move on, but we have to have somebody better or somebody with a bit of a vision to come in and to change that team. And I'm just not seeing it. Everybody loves to rip on Ricky Stewart. And he's Fox Sports' number one guy to come in at the moment, Ricky Stewart. Everybody hates him. Everybody talks all the time about Ricky Stewart can't coach. He should be sacked from Canberra. So what do we want to do now as fans? We want to sack well, him from Canberra and put him in charge of New South Wales? The one for me probably doesn't want the job because he's only been coaching an NRL side for a year and a half now. And that's great. It's given. I'd have him and someone like Gus maybe come in and try and get a bit of that old school culture going from when they were dominant. But short of that, there's not really anyone else putting their hand up. Like guys like Jeff Turvey haven't been around any sort of football for a while now. And Desi Asler's just taken up a new job. He's been there before and it didn't really work. You can't have a guy like Andrew Johns as good as a footballer he was. He's not a coach's arsehole. So it's not like we've got a line up of these guys like out of the production line like Queensland do of Slater and Smith and. I'm not sure what the answer is if, if it's time for Freddie to move on. Like I said, I wouldn't have a problem either, but they want to have a, a good idea of a direction they want to go in. Yeah, and you've got to have that plan because there's no point in putting someone in that's just not going to be up to it at all. Like at least Freddie's been there and, and sort of built some of it. And it's I would be pretty disappointed if we got someone in of the calibre of the, some of the guys that have been mentioned. Even Gus Gould, you know, for all the great things that Gus can do, He's much older now. He's been there and done it. Oh, you wouldn't want him to be the coach, but you might want him around the camp in a bit more capacity. For sure. I mean, look, there's no doubt in my mind that Gus didn't give some advice to Freddie during the way. Like, I'm sure that he was. Of course he was. And I I like your call on Fitzgibbon, though, but to me, I always sort of earmarked him as a potential coach of the future. You know, it's almost like debuting a, a, a... Yeah, like I said, I don't don't think he'd want the job himself at the moment. I mean, where do you stand on the whole, if you've got a club coach, can they do origin thing? Because obviously it's not been the way Slater doesn't coach a, you know, a club side or anything. Used to always be the way there for a while, but I, I don't know the way the season is now and the full-time professionalism of it. Yeah, it could work. I mean, the coaching staff have got a club level now. have got that many good guys around them in their structures, especially the better sides. So... It could work, but no one's done it for a while now, have they? Yeah, I think the biggest reason why it doesn't work anymore is because, like, there's two factors. One of them plays into Queensland's hands on why they're doing so well. One of them is that you need an ex-player that hasn't gone into coaching Mm. but you know can coach and is smart enough and fresh enough. Now, obviously, Queensland had that dynasty, right? So they've got the guys like Slater and Smith and so forth and Thurston even to come through, whereas New South Wales don't. And the, and the second thing is, if a coach doesn't have a job with a club, it's because he's been sacked and he's not any good. Like, yeah. you know, so. <laughs> uh, who would have been the last one? Probably would have been Gus. Yeah, or uh, Daly. It was coaching at Maybe. club level and, and um, 
Oh no, Bellamy. Oh, no. I mean, Bellamy. Bellamy did had a crack at the Blues. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it might have been him in the last one, and that didn't really work. Oh, the mind you, it was a Queensland dynasty, but still, an interesting one. Well, before we go any further, I do need to mention the fantastic partner of the All Stars podcast in Picklebet. You would have heard the great ad at the start of the podcast before we began. Talked about the same game multis being added now. If you haven't gone on to picklebet.com and you'd like to take a punt, go take a look because not only do they have same game multis now, which have just launched in the last twelve in the last month, I should say, but they've also got some other great markets that they've thrown up there too. And it's not just about sport at Picklebet. They've got great e-gaming and racing as well. But if you do like your sport, NRL this week, geez, there's some good value. You can get the Eels at a dollar fifty to beat the Dolphins. That's a big one. You can also grab a couple of good multis too. The Rabbits, Roosters, and Storm with the Parramatta Eels. That's going to give you close to $4 value at the moment, and it's dropping pretty fast. So you can get on some great same-game multis, but you can also just do some other bigger multis, just picking some NRL head-to-heads. Picklebet.com, they've got everything now. Go and have a look. Sign up today, but when you do create an account, make sure you use the affiliate code or referral code, it can be called, when you do your sign-up. Apply that when you sign up with a new account. They'll know that you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. That code for you is all stars. All one word, just all stars. They'll take great care of you as one of the listeners. But picklebet.com, go get on them today. Think, is this a bet that you really want to place? For free and confidential support, you can call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Now, moving right along. Congratulations to Queensland. I think they deserved it. And even if New South Wales had things go their way, I still think that they'd lose the series. But... Hopefully we don't get 3-0 because I don't think that's good for anyone. And I just, I'll finish off by saying some people have talked about why don't we scrap a game three when, you know, what's the point? Well, yeah. There is going to be huge feeling in game three in Sydney. Sydney hasn't even had a game yet and we're up to game three. Okay. Sydney, New South Wales fans, New South Wales fans need a game in front of them for a start because that is origin and that is fair. Uh, but as much as the Blues have been a disappointing team and a bit of a rabble, so far to go down 2-0, they will not want to be down 3-0. And by all accounts, if anyone can see the Queensland pride in the jumper and how much they're playing hard, they they would love to go 3-0 against the Blues, wouldn't they? Oh, wouldn't they? But they don't want to lift the trophy in, in um, Sydney for the series after losing the game either, do they? So there's still plenty of feeling in it. Don't worry about that. Massive motivation still. Um, but you mentioned uh, a coach just got a job in Des. It's off the market now. There's been a couple of big coaching changes. Des Hasler, first one. Uh, Titans. I, can I just say, to start off with this, I absolutely love how Des and the Titans did this. Yeah. Um, as far 100%. as keeping it completely secret, not one little rumbling. They had meetings in Sydney, secret meetings in Sydney. He didn't even bother touring the facility because he didn't need to. I love that because it is great to see with all the leaks in rugby league and everything and all the rumours that get started and stuff that uh, this just got kept under wraps until they had a deal done. And, and and it's also a deal where they could both obviously get rid of Holbrook and also announce their, their coach that's going to be the coach going forward straight away. I, I just, I really like that aspect of it. Oh, they've done really well. You, like if that was in Sydney, there would have been leaks all over the show. It, the fact Mount Meninga didn't even know about it himself shows how um, how well the management's gone about it. Obviously, I mean, Holbrook's been given a fair bit of time there. The defence hasn't improved the whole time he's been there. It doesn't look like he's really going to get him going in the right direction. One thing he has done, he's managed to assemble a pretty decent roster. And Des Asler's not walking into a basket case. So it's, as far as a Titans perspective goes, it's 
probably a move in the right direction. I think it is. Um, now, some people are saying that um, they're hard done by as far as how Holbrook got sacked and stuff and that they're on the, the... nature of the boost, Barnsley. Yeah, look, I I was a little bit shocked um, at the amount of people that thought, you know, it was a bit rough on Holbrook because I think that Holbrook's been close to a dead man walking since he went into the job, both from the media perspective and fan perspective. Mm-hmm. Media and fan have always thought that he was a, a bit of an average signing and he hasn't really shown a lot. You know, last year they went terribly and even this year, you know, they've got, what, a couple of games in a row where they gave up 28-point leads or something. Like, it's it's... Even though they're on the edge of the eight, I don't think they've shown much, and they certainly haven't shown a, a lot of improvement over the few years that he's actually had a chance there. No, even even in twenty twenty one when they made the semifinals, they were the worst winning percentage of a team to make the finals in NRL history. Yeah, and you're throwing that some of the personnel stuff right. Like you mentioned, the roster he has assembled quite a good roster, so it should actually be going better. That forward pack on paper is is up there with any forward pack in the comp, isn't it? Oh, I love it. There's three guys on the Queensland origin side, just one. Yeah, and I mean, you can go up there now and, and just about argue that Tino's might have even surpassed Haas as the number one prop in the game. Um, David Fafita, to me, is the most damaging edge back rower, and he's been in immense form this year. But, I mean, his career at the Titans almost got derailed and, and terminated, basically, because of how he was being handled a year or two before this season, um, as far as playing off the bench or not playing 80 minutes and all this other stuff and whatever. And then you've got Mo Fodawaka that's... Um, plotting away unnoticed. I say plotting away respectfully because he gets unnoticed, but he's playing great footy as well. And they've got a good pack and they've got some young players like Campbell and Brimson, among others, that can, you know, give the comp a bit of a shake if they get the right direction, but they just haven't been able to defend. And that was the mantra from the Titans for the last couple of years. We need to be able to defend because we've always been aside to put on some points. And that hasn't improved under Holbrook, has it? So to me, I could I could totally see why they've gone in this direction. No, it hasn't. And their defensive anything's gotten worse this year. How many games have they led 26 to not much and getting run down? They've got so many high-scoring games this season. The defence has been horrific, really. So what do you think Des is going to bring to the table? Because to me, you know, I, I mentioned him for the Dragons job. I, I always thought that Des needed another coaching job somewhere. And I thought that he's got a lot to give. Uh, so I really like it. But how do you see it going with the Titans and Desi? I think it'll be a good fit, to be honest. Um, a lot of people seem to think that Haslam will be past it with what happened at Manly. And I um, thought he's a bit hard done by, to be honest, what happened at Manly. It was a bit of a scapegoat for the Jersey Gate and all the rest of it because they weren't travelling too bad prior to that. People forget that. They were almost knocking on the door of the top four there at one point before that, and then they fell away to buggery. So, and he did what he did return to Manly, he took him back into the top four. So, I mean, he's still obviously got enough knowledge in the game to assemble a team that's going to challenge for a competition. And with the amount of good juniors they've got coming through and the base around that forward pack and old heads like four, and it probably be a segue coming up here, I suppose, too, with the Ben Hunt saga, if they could land him. I mean, it's a, suddenly starting to look like a pretty decent side. Yeah, I agree with you. And, I mean, look, at the end of the day, Holbrook was there for a few years and, he had a 37% win percentage. You know, Des is a career 56% win percentage, uh, which people don't understand. But in NRL terms, like if you're winning over 50% of your games, it's actually pretty it's good. It's a bloody hard yeah. thing to do. <laughs> Especially over a long period. Like he's been coaching since 2004. Um, but one of the things I like most about Des, I agree with you on the fit. I think you'll do a lot with the roster. Defensively, his teams have always been able to be fairly gritty at the Bulldogs and at Manly. Pretty gritty, yep. being able to defend well, being able to get a little bit of mongrel into him as well. 
And that's the sort of stuff that they need. And I think that he can do it. But the biggest thing that I'll say about Des Haslam is that you do get some older coaches. Like, he's in his 60s. You do get some older coaches, especially removed from the game for a couple of years, that maybe the game passes them by a little bit. It was certainly a worry with someone like Tim Sheens. It's a worry with some of the older coaches. But one of the great things about Des is that he has that old school mentality and experience still. But he's one of those guys who is heaps into the sports science, which a lot of people will see. He's heaps into the numbers and, and all that type of modern approach as well. So it's just such a good mix. And I think that it keeps him fresh enough yeah. to be able to adapt to the modern game. And he's always been a fitness first kind of. That's the way he was when he was a player. He was always super fit. His teams are always super fit. And I mean, that's, if you've got a super fit team, you're halfway there in defence, aren't you? Yeah. And look, I'm, I'm actually... Um, there's a couple of teams that I get excited about occasionally that aren't my team, the Roosters. And I'm actually excited for the Gold Coast Titans next year. Like, I want to see them play because I, I think that Des can actually shake it up and do some really good things. Um, and I'm pretty excited to see it. So hopefully Gold Coast fans are too, because I do think it's a move for the better. The other move that's probably for the better, although they kind of got there in a roundabout way, was the Dragons finally announced uh, Flanagan is going to be the new head coach there. And look, Shane Flanagan has his detractors from his past and everything else. Uh, I've been reasonably critical about, you know, his record and his coaching and stuff. But at the same time, I think that he was the best person available for them. I think that he would be better than what Riles would be. So I think that they ended up getting their man. The strange thing here is, you know, obviously he's got a a big job ahead of him. Um, I mean, let's focus on Flanagan first and then we're going to talk about Ben Hunt and that whole saga. But to me, Flanagan was probably, you know, the type of coach that they needed as far as someone who's got experience, who's had a winning team before and stuff, and has got a, a track record. I think that's better than getting a Riles or somebody who doesn't for that particular club in the Dragons. How did you sort of see them getting to that Flanagan appointment? Probably where they needed to be in the first place instead of trying to chase Jason Riles at this point in time of Riles' career. Um, Riles would have been mad to take, to be honest. <laughs> but he did definitely go back down to Melbourne assistant coach before you take on the Dragons seem to be a bit of a basket case at the moment. Especially the Ben Hunt saga that's come out, it seems to be a bridge between the, the hierarchy and the playing group. And They need an old hardhead like Flanagan that'll come in there and it'll be sort of his way or the highway. He'll get the staff he wants. He'll, he'll sort of, he's probably a man that can probably bridge that gap to a degree. Whether he's the answer long-term to get him up to premiership standard, I don't know. But he could, he's definitely the guy, especially when you compare else's on the market that can get them to be started to get pointed in the right direction again. At the moment, they're an absolute mess, which is a Tigers fan. It's good that it's not us that's the worst. <laughs> We've got a club at the moment that seems to be struggling a little bit more than we were. <laughs> we do have to talk about Ben Hunt. Uh, and I look, this could have been my rant of the week, but it's not going to be. I'm going to save it for something else. Yeah, we could go on for hours about I, this. Honestly, I, I don't know how sometimes media especially, but also some fans just have the same situation and go in a different direction. Like so often it is scathing at the player, you know, to, and then other times like this, it's actually, it's almost like Ben Hunt's absolved all responsibility by most, by a lot of media outlets and by a lot of people and stuff. The excuses being made in the media, I think are really, really poor um, because it's missing a lot of the key facts of this. And to me, like I'll go straight out. I don't like it. I really hate what Hunt has done here for a few reasons. I'll say if Hunt did this last year, I'd support him 100%. He is a, he's barely past six months signing a new contract where he pushed and pushed and pushed to be a million-dollar player, and he got very, very close to that. 
And the, when he did that, I'm going to two big facts here, Perso. St. George Illawarra were never going to move to Queensland. They were always still going to be St. George Illawarra. And the second thing is that the team was a basket case when he did it. He had full knowledge, not even just as an incoming player from the outside. He had inside knowledge for years on exactly what was going on at the Dragons and where they were headed. And he full well knew that Hook was on the chopping block and it was a very, very low chance that he'd be coaching that side for very long. All of these things he knew and he signed a deal only six plus months ago to stay there. And then he's saying, oh, for the last couple of months, he's actually been thinking about it. Well, look, what was he thinking when he signed his deal? And then he, you know, it's it's been put back on the club being a basket case and everything. It is, but they're probably better off June, 2023 than what they were at the end of last year when that deal got finalised. I mean, now they've got an experienced coach. Um, they're actually changing direction. They're doing different things. I don't think they're in a great spot now, the Dragons. Don't get me wrong. But they're better than when Ben Hunt made that decision. So to me, everyone talks about the club and, and Ben Hunt and so forth. The fans, I'll finish on. You know, what does this say to the fans? This, you, you're meant to be the captain of the club. You're an experienced origin player. You're meant to be a leader. And it, I, I, had to, I had to laugh, Perso, when he said, oh, I'm definitely playing this week. I'm not going to let my mates down. Hang on. <laughs> so you're not going to let your mates down because you're going to play this week versus the Warriors. But it's not letting your mates down to pull the pin on a contract that you just signed that's only barely just started. You know, like it's just there's so much double talk. I just I really don't like the way it's gone about things with this whole Hunt saga. Oh, I can't stand it, Marzi. It really annoys me. I've had a problem with the way the whole NRL contract systems work for probably two decades now, but it's a real line in the sand moment if the NRL actually wanted to get involved in these things, but they just tend not to. They just tend to leave it up for clubs and managers to sort out their own mess. He, like we, he, the Dragons finished ninth last year and Hook was under pressure then. I mean, there was a lot of conjecture around that he was going to get sacked at the end of the season. And he, like, everyone knows he was one of the first ones that was going to go this year if the Dragons weren't performing, and Ben Hunt included. He didn't put his head in the sand and worry about that. Uh, I think the whole Queensland thing is probably the only staunch ironclad way out of it, which is why that's popped up, which is another excuse. Uh, you see it time and time again, a player will, you know, they won't leave another Sydney club after they've signed a, a longer contract. Oh, but it's for personal reasons. I want to move back to Queensland. Well, he hasn't been in Queensland for six years or something. Yeah, Jason Saab didn't want to drive an extra hour to get to, to, get to training. So, yeah, yeah, like it's just like, it's just ridiculous, that thing. Uh, not only that, I'll go further with the Ben Hunt. The Dragons, he was on overs, like he was on 1.1 million and, and the, for the re-sign, the Dragons originally offered him 800k a season and I think it went up to like 950 or something it is. So he ended up getting more money out of him to re-sign with him and then six months later he's turned around and just saying, I'll stick it up your ass. I mean, that'd be after he got named club captain and, you know, it's, it's a pretty unsavoury flavour to have floating around. I mean, I mean, players can just come and do this as they want. I mean, it works both ways. Sometimes it's the clubs that are doing it. In this case, it's the player. It's just a whole shines a lot on how much of a basket case the whole uh, contract saga is with the NRL. And on top of that, they're not supposed to be negotiating for a immediate release with other clubs anyway. At the end of his contract at the end of 2025, clubs are allowed to talk to him from beyond there. But obviously, he's offering the Dragons 150k if you believe that part of what's going on in the media to get out of the contract. He's already got something else to walk into. So that just shows another lot of all the shambles of what the whole player contract and swap system is at the moment. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, and look, there's there's a couple of things that you mentioned there. 
that are um, important. One of them is that, you know, he, the whole wanting to go to Queensland thing. Can I just say in his breaking his silence media release interview that he did on this, um, he spoke about Dragon's um, new contract and stuff that he did. He just signed at the end of last year. And he said, well, look, the Dragons wanted to get something done. I was keen to get something done as well. And I, I did it because I wanted to, and I expected some things to happen after that. And he sort of pointed without saying it towards, you know, other signings and different things and whatever. So, I mean, look, not, in one in one paragraph, he's talking about, oh, look, I, I need to go back to, to Queensland. It's where my family is and all this stuff. Yeah, I hope everyone understands. Blah, blah. But at the same time, he said, he basically said he signed for the money at the end of last year and he did it and was hoping that the Dragons would get better with some of the signings that they made. Like, there's two big things per se that fans bring me up, bring up, and the media brings up, and I there are two things that are bugbears in mind. One of them is, if, if you played at the Dragons, would you really want to be there? No, I wouldn't, but that's when you say, I'm not going to sign a contract, you know? And unfortunately, you know, I'll, I'll call a spade a spade if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but it just looks like to me that Hunt just signed that contract because he wanted the money. You know, and it was well. You know, you can sign. You can be a million dollar player and play for the Dragons, or you can maybe take seven hundred and go to the open market and play for someone that's going to make the finals. He wanted the million bucks, yeah, and that's fine. I don't begrudge him for that. Yep. But he took it. He made that decision. Not at all. You can't have your cake and eat it too. The other thing that comes up is something that you mentioned. Oh, but clubs do it all the time. No, they don't, because clubs might cut a player, but they still have to honor the contract. That's right. The contract, and I can't believe that Brent Reed was going nuts about this on 360, that um, the Dragons haven't fulfilled their end of the bargain. The Dragons' end of the bargain on that contract is to pay him money to play football. Ben Hunt's side is to play football. Yep. Okay, Hunt plays football, Dragons pay him to do it. Even if the Dragons were to cut Ben, ben Hunt today because they didn't want him there, they still have to pay him for the time of that contract and fulfil it in entirety. But we're at a point now where... No player end up ends up having to do that if they don't want to. And the writing is always on the wall when a player says, I don't want to be here anymore because they always get their way per so. A club actually never does. Yep. People think that and it's a real big misconception because players end up way better off when the club says you can go. Because like Matt Lodge, 700000 he got just from the, the Warriors this year to not play for them. You know, They, they get their contracts yeah. done if the, if the player gets moved on. And by the way, the NRL club, is the employer. They have every right to say, you're not performing, so we need to move you on. It is the best job in the world where you get sacked, but you get paid for it. <laughs> you know, most of us don't get that privilege. Oh, exactly. You might, <laughs> might get paid out your holidays or a couple of weeks redundancy, and that's it. you don't get your paid out your next two years of your million-dollar contract, that's for sure. Uh, shout out to Paul Crawley on that 360 show. He's the only one of the prominent journos that's actually sort of taken the same stance as us on this one. He's um, reckoned it's a pretty ordinary effort from from Ben Hunt and the Dragons should dig their heels in. So, wait and see what happens of it. But, you know, as you and I both know, when this sort of thing pops up, it always goes in the players' favour. Like, that's why I sort of mentioned it'd be a prime opportunity for the NRL if they had the balls to step in and oversee it. But they just let it go. They don't want the saga. They know very well that the whole system's a sham and player managers talk to clubs and it's just all a free-for-all and they don't know what the solution is, so they just let it go. It's it's a real big problem. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think Hunt, Hunt's going to play for the Titans. That's that's my pick. I think the real slap in the face, though, with all this will be if he ends up going and playing for, 
like the Tigers have been mentioned. The Tigers are down the bottom of the ladder at the moment, right? And they're obviously not based in Queensland. Like uh, You can just see something like that happening and just go, well, why did you want to leave for? Uh, the other one as well, though, you know, even the Dolphins. The Dolphins are in Queensland, so geographically that makes sense with some of his reasoning. But they're not going to win a premiership in the next couple of years. They're, are they going to make the eight the next couple of years? They've had a good season this year, but they're probably going to stay out of the eight, I would imagine, based on the rest of the draw. You know, he's, he's going to end up moving without satisfying any of the reasons why he was moving potentially or just being in Queensland if he does that. The, the only one that I see that makes sense is the Titans for me. Yeah. Uh, and they've actually got a new coach and a decent roster and can actually make a run into into the eight and improve a lot with the young young guys they've got there. So I think he ends up there, but what's your bet? Uh, I want my money's with the Titans. The way the Titans handled all that, uh, signing Hassel about anyone known, I wouldn't be surprised if Ben Hunt already had an inkling that that was going to happen. But, uh, I mean, if he ends up with the Dogs, that's the other prominent one that they seem to be saying. I mean, they're sitting two spots ahead of the Dragons on the ladder in 15th spot. Tigers are one spot ahead. The one that won't surprise me if somehow they did the Queensland release and the deal can't get done at the Titans until next season and he ends up with the Roosters or something for the remainder of the season. Well, another club like that just goes and plays a cameo role this year and then takes his spot with the Titans next season. Yeah, you could see a bit of a loan deal or something like that happen. It's, it's going to be interesting. And look, I'll finish off by saying it's nothing personal against Ben Hunt. Um, and I have always liked him as a footballer. I've actually always defended him when he's copped a lot since he dropped that ball in the grand final and stuff. I've actually felt pretty bad for him a lot of the time. I just think in this instance, there's a lot of bad ways that he's handled this, including allowing it to come up before Origin. Like, we didn't even raise that person. Surely you just put just put it back in your pants for two weeks and just cop it, right? Like, why bring it up during Origin? You wonder how much of that's all player management and creating talk in the media and stuff as well. It's <laughs> Surely the player's not going to come out and, uh, I don't know. Like, you'd like to be a fly behind the wall and see how it definitely breaks it out. But it, the mind boggles at the timing of it, like you said. Surely you can just, I mean, he's obviously been holding on to it for a few months. You could hold on to it for another couple of weeks, couldn't you? Oh, of course you could. If it happened last year, I'd support Ben Hunt and, and understand. Um, and he's coming to the end of his deal anyway. But go and sign with someone else. Like I think everyone would have clapped I mean, him if he went and signed with somebody else instead of re-signing with the Dragons. Even if it was as much about his tightness with Hook. I mean, how many weeks ago did Hook get the punt now? Look, could have come out straight away and said, well, he's gone, I'm gone. But that was, what, a month ago? Mm. He's, uh, I mean, surely, timing. You just hang on to it for a bit longer until something's sorted out behind. There's all this stuff to me, as far as I'm concerned, should be happening behind closed doors between player and club until they can come to a decision of which way it's going to go and then you make a, a media point. But there's all this leaking behind the media. It does no good for the club or the fans or the game. We could talk about this for hours. Let's just go straight into my spray of the week because it sort of segues pretty nicely. A lot of people might not know about the, the current CBA negotiations um, with the NRL and the Players Association, that's because they wanted it to go behind closed doors and to stop being played out in the media. That was a good thing, and I'm happy that they did that. It still hasn't been done, though. A lot of people would be surprised to know. And one of the things that, that's sort of very quietly happened this week, the NRL were really pushing a trade window. The, the NRL said that fans need it. We can't keep having players just moving around clubs like we have them. There needs to be a trade window. There needs to be, a, you know, all all this new stuff put in on when players can actually sign deals and when they can change clubs and all this other stuff. They have actually this week relinquished that because they can't get this CBA agreement done with the Players Association and that's one of the sticking points. So 
for this spray, I'm just I just want to spray the players' association here, but also give a little bit of knowledge dropping on the fans here because a lot of the time, and I understand why, the fans blame the NRL for this. Oh, how can the NRL let this happen? How can the NRL let somebody sign, you know, and have to play a year out for another team when they know that they're going to go to a different club and all this stuff? And the NRL cops it, cops it online all the time whether it's comments, whether it's posts, whether it's, even in interviews in the media, you know, the NRL gets blamed. The NRL has wanted to change this, everyone, forever. They have tried and tried and tried, and this is another instance. Perso, it was in there. It was one of the big things that they wanted in the CBA. We have to change how yep. we're doing this, the player trading and how, how players are signing with someone else and playing with another. We've got to change it. We've got to make a window. It's the Players Association who represents the players that made this not happen. So next time anyone gets angry about this with your club, blame the players because the players are the ones making these decisions. Yeah, my understanding is they're pretty staunch against the the trade window, along with a couple of more minor, minor end of things on the scale. And they're digging their heels in and they're not budging on it. And it's been that way since January. Yeah, it, it was a big part of it. I mean, look, I understand where the players are coming from, and we've spoken about this before, so we're not going to go into the depth. From the players' perspective, they want more time in the off-season to be able to do it. They think that they need more time to be able to get enough offers and to sign, and also it's their downtime to go away, and they're overseas a lot, so there's no face-to-faces, all this other stuff. I just think that it's time to get over it, especially in the modern day and age with technology and stuff. You know, you couldn't do a, a Zoom call or like what Hasler just looked at videos of the facilities. Yeah. You couldn't do that in 1984, but you can do it now. You know, I, I just think for the fans' sake, for the game's sake, um, that's a, a fairly easy concession that, that players could do. Um, but, you know, just I just like everyone to remember, you know, who, who's to blame in this. This has been going on for six months now. Like staunchly for six months, when they finally you know, they finally NRL sort of penciled in what the new um, salary cap will be, and then they've been falling over the other details of it ever since. Like you got six months to talk this out, longer really, but like six months they've been heavily going at it. Like surely you can come to a conclusion, Bonier. Yeah, the whole CBA agreement's been um, a bit of a basket case for all sides. Listeners' corner, we had a really good question this week. I like this one. So most memorable games attended or experienced? Um, Perso, why don't you kick us off, mate? Well, uh, been to a few. Been to a few. Um, right back from when I was a teenager at City Country Games and I was at the Knights game when Mullins put on a clinic and scored four tries there in 94. But um, Origin, when we first got the thing back in Sydney, a few years back now, it was about five years ago, wasn't it, when we finally broke the, the hoodoo. I was at that game in Sydney. But um, for me, the best one has to be... Has a, Tragic Tigers fan, no five grand final. Been there at that game, watching Benji throw the flick pass. I mean, Tigers have been crap for years. It was just a, we were coming 13th or something one stage, and then just the style of play was completely different to anything else that year. And we went on a massive run and flogged the Broncos by 50 in a semi, and I was at that game as well. And then, <laughs> yeah, to beat that grand final was pretty special. I got late tickets to that too. I got the, the ex wife, who was my wife at the time. Had the day off and queued up and got ticket to ticket to because that's what you had to do back in those days. Couldn't get online and get them. But um, yeah, that was pretty special. That, that Tigers grand final on A5. That's a really good one, mate. That's um, the, the Pat Richards try off the Benji flick pass and stuff, some iconic stuff in that game. That's a fantastic one. Uh, I got a couple of different ones. One of them actually doesn't even involve the Roosters, you know, as far as memorable ones go. 
Getting... 2006 grand final, mate. <laughs> Melbourne and Brisbane. Ooh. Yeah, that was a classic. Well, it was it was an experience for me because I was living in London at the time and I, as a rugby league tragic, had to try and navigate uh, grand finals and test matches and stuff while living in the different time zone and everything. And that one, I went to a uh, pub called the Slug and Lettuce in Fulham and I got there at about 7am. I think kickoff was about 9am and we had pies and beers from like 7 to... <laughs> I, all these people stayed over my house and we all went together. There was about half a dozen of us. And um, and uh, it was just it was also just people that I'd sort of met and made friends with along the way and stuff as well. That just you know, it was a girl from Gladstone um, and another guy from Melbourne and stuff. Uh, they obviously were supporting Brisbane and Melbourne, <laughs> uh, but I, I had no skin in that game, and it was just such a great experience though because you go into this pub, you know, seven in the morning, full of Aussies and New Zealanders and backpackers, <laughs> and just absolutely to the rafters. People just hanging off the edge of bar stools and stuff everywhere, and. Beer was flowing. It was just, it was like the best night out in the morning I've ever had. And it didn't even matter about the game. Like it was just such a great experience. But now I watch a grand final like that overseas. Uh, it, it's really, it was really something else. Um, but as far as my team goes, I'll, I'll throw around out here for you, Perso. I think it was 2010. I don't want to get the date wrong. No, oh, no. Famous Roosters Tigers <laughs> final. And it went to extra time. We had the Braith and Asta 40. 40 meter field goal, which was crazy. We had the scrum screw. We had the Dwyer. Yeah, the hit on Hargraves. That's that made his name. Oh, the Dwyer hit on Hargraves. It was uh, it had it had everything. It was just um, it was just a, a massive game, and it was an all timer. And that uh, I think there was a chase on Lottie Dakiri from Sean Kenny Dow, and Sean Kenny Dow also threw like a massive <laughs> intercept pass in that, but he also ran and scored the winning try in extra time. Like, it had absolutely everything, that one. That was one of the best games I've ever seen. That game was Sean Kenny down in a nutshell, wasn't it? <laughs> Rocks and diamonds in five minutes. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of good players in that one, too. A lot I of yeah, the Tigers on the wing. We had a gun side. That was probably what the side we had then was better than the side that won in 05. We lost a prelim in 10 and 11. Two years in a row, that was pretty hard to take. But that, yeah, that we had a gun side then. When Gareth Ellis was probably at his peak and Benji was, Gareth Ellis was awesome. Benji was still killing it, and Robbie and Chris Lawrence, and I think uh, Lottie, uh, the tank, Taniella, before he did his end, Taniella Tawaki on the other wing. It was a good side. The Roosters were stacked as well. It was just a great game. Yeah, a lot of those Tigers, funnily enough, like, went went on from that, and obviously their careers ended. Like Tuaki and, um, and Dwyer, both mm. of them ended up, unfortunately, yeah. ending their careers very early on, and some other guys as well. Uh, obviously moved on from that team like Lottie and, and so forth. So it was um We had a lot of guys go to the Sharks after that, Hoington and Bros Gibbs yeah. and um Bay Ryan. Yeah, there was a there was a big game from Braith. I used to love Sean Kenny Dow. I used to just laugh at his brain snaps and stuff, but he always used to come through with some good players and he did that in that one as well. And Jared was in his prime then. I know he got shortened up by Dwyer, but geez, he put on some massive hits as well. He was just he was an animal in that one. Oh, he's a weapon. That was what was so special about that shot from Dwyer is that no one had ever seen but Hargrove's bolted like that, not in that fashion. Oh, it's twelve week. It's a twelve week send off. This <laughs> today, <laughs> shoulder yeah, direct to yeah, the end. He yeah. <laughs> got for twelve weeks, mate. Didn't matter back then. Uh, uh, good old days. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll mention because um, I have to the the Roosters' victory over the Storm, the last grand final. Um, that was um, I, I actually won some tickets to that, uh, and that was pretty special. Went to that one with my wife and haven't been to a um, a, a grand final in a while actually. Um, so to be there for that one, which I was pretty nervous about, 
I was pretty happy um, beating the Storm because I thought the Storm could have got us on that day and, and they didn't. And I didn't want to be there per se and see the Storm celebrating, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's always a risk, isn't it? Go out of the GF with your team losers and especially when it's a side like the other side with pretty good rivalry between the Chooks and the Storm. And the other good thing about that one too is that I um, I learned my lesson of um, going to Homebush. I brought in the hip flask too. So, yeah. <laughs> they honestly went to the bar and they had, they had 12... 12 taps, all the same beer. It was all great northern mid-strength. And I was just like, you bloody ripper. That's why you're bringing your hip flask. And I said it to my wife too because she was hassling me saying, you're not 18 years old. What are you doing, you idiot? And I was like, you'll see. You'll understand when we get there. Because <laughs> we were there for the yeah. day. They had the New South Wales Cup versus Queensland. Yeah, yeah. game before it and everything. And it was about 35 degrees. I was like, if I could have smuggled some beers in, I would have because it was just a shocker. I, I saw some, I bumped into a few people I knew and they were in the... um they're in the boxes, so they got you know a whole heap of different beers. But of course, all, you know all the plebs have to have to drink what makes the um, the contracts money. And it was Great Northern, and it was also I vividly remember trying the oh the Smirnoff Black Ice cans, but they're the mid strength the ones. So they're only like three percent. So like drinking just lolly like, water. <laughs> it was awful. Uh, but the game was great. Uh, Legend Rewind finishing up on Trevor Gilmeister. Gilly, also known as the Axe, I think it gives it away a little bit. I have to say, like, there's a couple of real key things about Gilly, key facts that I'm going to throw at you and you can take it away, mate. He was called the Axe because of his tackling style and how he used to cut guys in half. He was listed at five foot ten and 89 kilos. It's not very big at all uh, for a bloke that played like that. And he's also remembered as a Brisbane man per se, but he debuted... Chookies. With the Chooks. Yeah, a lot of people would forget that. He was one of the early pioneers that came down around about 86, I think, 86, 87, down with the Chooks for a couple of seasons before the Broncos picked him up. He wasn't an initial um, Broncos, an inaugural Broncos player. I think it was, was it 89, 90 when he left the Chooks and went up there. Yeah, so he played with the Chooks from 86 to 90, almost 100 games, actually. So he played more games with the Chooks than the Broncos. Uh, and then the Broncos, 91 to 93. But obviously that 91 to 93 period was when they made those three consecutive grand finals for Brisbane as well. Yeah, he finished up with the crushes. So he wanted him to go there as his cross turner. Got him to go over there from memory, watching a podcast with Gilly. But um, no, he was unreal, the Gilmore the axe. His tackle technique was superb. But he was such a character as well as one of those Larrikin country Queensland blokes and certainly made his mark in the Sydney cop before he went back up and finished off in Brisbane when they were in the NRL. Stalwart of that Queensland side through the late 80s, early 90s. One of the first pick, as you said, for a little bloke, he just was like full terrier, I suppose. He sort of, not so much with the chopping blokes in half technique, but he sort of, he'd be a Ruben Cotter type player those days if he was running around. Yeah, for sure. And he actually played 22 games for, for Queensland, which is a pretty big run considering, you know, everyone's got to remember back then, you had pretty short careers. Like his career was, you know, to mid 80s to um, 96. You know, there was all sort of, when you got past 10 years as a footballer in the 80s and 90s, that was that was pretty much like a, a decent-sized career, whereas now, you know, you're used to guys playing 13, 14 seasons before they go over to the Super League and play a bit more and stuff. So even 22 games for Queensland, nothing to sneeze at at all. And, you know, I tell you what, per se, he was always one of the first ones picked for those sides, wasn't he? Yeah, 100%. Even the Rue Tours, I think he went on 86 and 1990 from memory. Uh, they always talk about the stories off the field as well with Gilly. He was a bit of a character. I was trying to remember what series it was. Might have even been 95 when the infamous series 
when uh, all the Queensland stars at the city because of the Super League war. He was on, actually on his deathbed. He got an infection or something. He was in hospital and they told him, if you play, you're a chance That's to die. Right. And he yeah. got up and played and then went back to hospital again. That was the calibre of the bloke. Yeah, just uh, that's what I'll always remember of him. That, that's a really good um, point with him. It's just massive heart and just how much he, he worked for his jersey and for his teammates and stuff. And he used to just belt everyone. He didn't care, you know. We talked about him being oh, the size no of a small hook and now he's basically Tom Starling. And he'd go up and, and take on a six foot six, 120 kilo bloke and just belt him. Hey, chop all arrogant enough. With your zeros and Roberts and guys like that. Yeah. Oh, and everyone say that, right? Back in the day, like all the props and stuff would say, you know, you don't want to be hit by Trevor Gilmeister. You know, that's such a credit to him considering uh, his size and everything. And he was a sort of bloke that didn't have a huge amount of skill. He had to really work for it, you know. And it, I think that's really inspiring and inspired a lot of Queenslanders. That's where you listen to him, he talks to you guys, he's an old man saying, if you learn how to tackle properly, son, you'll never have a problem. <laughs> so he learned how to tackle at a young age and that sort of, he, he went off the back of that. Just his tough determination. He was just the epitome of the guy you want around you in a football team. You know, not the most classy guy, not the most skillful guy, but he's, you know you're in for a football game and you're on there with Gilly next year. Yeah, fantastic character and fantastic player uh, for all the clubs, but also representing Queensland and also Australia. Gilly the Axe, I loved watching him. If anyone is too young to have seen Gilly play, just go on YouTube, Gilly the Gilmeister hits and you'll see some of his great tackling technique. And I'll tell you what, Percy, we'll finish off by saying a lot of young players today could do worse than watching some of that video and learning how to tackle. I'll tell you what. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you never really remember him getting his head in the wrong spot. He just sort of chopped them every time. I was sure his head's had more knocks than Elvis. Every player coming out of that had more hits than Elvis. I mean, every player in that era did, but like his technique was just superb. Absolutely superb. Well done on a great career, career Gilly. Good to remember him. Perso, good podcast, mate. Thanks for doing the double shift on me this week. It was great, although we had to talk about the Blues losing. It was uh, still a lot of quality chat this week, so thanks very much. Not a problem, Barnsley. Always fine. But yeah, the ups and downs of rugby league, isn't it? One minute, yeah. You're flying, the Tigers are beating sides by 66 and Supercoach team's flying and then... I hear, I hear the Tigers <laughs> have got come... the two points in the bag this week, mate, so it's all right. It's all yeah, yeah, well, we come back, come back down to earth and pretty quickly today and then lose. <laughs> that was pretty... We were so hot for that too. We were having that pre-chat yep. before and I think, oh, we might turn out and have a real crack here and then just to, to finish the way it did was pretty disappointing, but Onwards and upwards, plenty of good games this weekend. Yep, we'll get you on again real soon. For everyone looking for the podcast, jump on Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, SoundCloud. We're everywhere. Jump on Twitter. Follow us on NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And jump on Picklebet, the fantastic partner of the NRL All Stars podcast. Picklebet.com, some of the best odds in the market. Now have same game multis as well. When you create an account, make sure you use the referral affiliate code All Stars. And if you use that All-Stars referral code, they'll know that you're one of our listeners and take great care of you. But otherwise, enjoy the round of footy coming up. We'll be back again next week with the Supercoach podcast and a talking footy. Can't wait to talk all about it again real soon. Hey now, you're an All-Star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, 